Welcome. This is an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. The topic is Preparing Young Adults for Healthy Sexual Intimacy, delivered by Laura Brotherson, Certified Sex Therapist, during our Restoring Intimacy Conference in September 2015. Other recordings from that event are available on our website, www.healthyintimacy.net. Well, it is wonderful to be here. I am thrilled to have you all here. I um, love doing this probably more than any of the other things that I do because I'm definitely an extrovert, so I love to be with people. And so I'm much happier when I can get out and speak instead of being always behind a computer writing a chapter or something. So it's, it's wonderful to be here with you. And I think that this organization is fabulous, and I'm so tickled that they have decided to make it important to have this extra angle of restoring intimacy and kind of focusing on the healthy side of things. I think that's wonderful as well. Um, it's kind of an interesting time for me to be talking about this. I just dropped off two kids at college, and so not only are they uh, preparing careers and education and all of that stuff, but moving closer and closer to uh, <coughs> hopefully being well prepared for sexual intimacy and marriage, I guess we'll see. Um, and and a, a couple of things just to kind of start with. I'm originally a train-the-trainer person back in WordPerfect's glory days. Does anybody know who WordPerfect is anymore? <laughs> but um, so I definitely encourage you, if you're already kind of a note-taker, to definitely kind of take notes because anything you take notes on, you remember more of the content. So that's just kind of a trainer fact. But, but the extra thing that I'd really like to encourage is um, either to set aside kind of a box in a corner or a column that is specifically for ideas or direction that you feel is personal to you as we go through this. I think that there will be things that I will say or things that I will say that will prompt something that you think that is something you ought to be working on. And I really, I'm a big believer in, I don't want you to just hear me. I want you to leave this room and make something better. So you just make sure you write down what those things are so you remember, oh, I need to work on that, okay? Um, also, my lovely assistant, whose name is not Vanna, is going to hand out these two clipboards because I'm a big, and you can go ahead and start, I think we'll just keep one on each side so that we, we make sure everybody gets them. But I, I would love to have provided you a lot more handouts. I'm definitely a visual learner. And so I, every time I talk about something, I'm like, oh, I want them to have this in their hand. So if you'll sign up on here, then I can at least send you all of these handouts that I would have liked to copy for you. Okay? So we'll do that as well. And you all should have this three by five card. Um, as we go through, I'm thinking you might have some questions as we go along. So I'd love for you to jot those down as we go. And then, I, then hopefully at the end, we'll have enough time that we can review these. And if I didn't get to your question, come and talk to me. I'm, if I'm here out of town, away from my family, I want to help as many people as I can. So let's make sure we get your questions answered as well. All right, so let's start with Obviously, this class, in case you want to know, is preparing young adults. And I think we'll say parents for healthy sexual intimacy and marriage. How many young adults unmarried do we even have? One, two, okay, we do have a few. Oh, yay. And even if you're an older adult and single, this still applies to you. But I will just say that even if you're parents, just pretend like this applies to you because 
most of us didn't get very well prepared for a good, healthy, intimate relationship. So we'll just kind of reparent you right here, okay? So that's what we'll do. All right, so what we're going to talk about, just kind of two parts. One is, um, I was just thinking I was going to have my timer. Do, Melody, will you keep, let me know when we get close to the end and, and when there's 10 minutes left? Yep. Um, we're going to talk about three suggestions that I just kind of chose for you um, of things that young adults or single adults can be doing to help prepare them for marriage in a healthy, intimate relationship. And then part two, I chose a couple of things that we as parents can be doing to help our young adults be better prepared for healthy intimacy in marriage. And I really do think that probably, even though there's a little bit of overlap here, I think that whatever situation you're in, you're going to probably be able to benefit from both parts. Um, because, like I said, we don't get a ton of this, this kind of, of training and education. So, our first suggestion, is, as you've kind of identified what you want in a spouse, what kind of spouse do you want? You know, all of our young adults are thinking, I want this and I want this. So that's what we're looking for. But what my first suggestion actually is, is what, how are you as a spouse? Are you the kind of spouse that you would want your are you the kind of spouse that you would want to have? And so what I want you to do now is go back and rate on those three, four, five items that you wrote down. I'd like you to rate yourself on a scale of zero to 10, how good you're, you think you're doing in this area. How good are you at patience? How good are you, how well do you do at selflessness? How good are you at being respectful? How good are you at being able to sacrifice and put others before you sometimes. How are you in those areas? So our first suggestion is to develop those kind of characteristics that you would want to have in a spouse. So important, so important. What this looks like in real life is um, you want to be in a constant state of self-development you want to be always working on your own stuff and here's what's great as a marriage counselor great thing for you too is that it keeps you preoccupied with your own stuff so you kind of stay out of his or her stuff because that's not really useful in case anyone hadn't noticed that you really can only work on your own stuff um, i had a young man ask me once laura what do i do so that i can be as well prepared as possible for marriage and to to have a great spouse and whatever. And this was the first thing I said is, is the more you can do to work on your own weaknesses and improve and develop, the better off you're gonna be. Um, we tend to attract somebody who tends to be equally yoked to us is the best way I can kind of explain that. Doesn't mean they're similar, but they're equally yoked to us in a lot of ways, maybe maturity or development kind of at a psychological level. And they all, we also tend to attract somebody that's complementary to us. So if you are super shy, you're more likely to uh, attract maybe somebody that's super outgoing, and then that becomes kind of a challenge in the marriage. Instead, if you work on your shyness or work on your, maybe you're too overbearing, too bossy, too demanding, which my children would say I need to work on, um, then you want to be working on mellowing that out because then you tend to attract somebody that, that is an easier mix for you. And so that's why it's so important that you be working on these characteristics. Okay, so um, I talked about 
that it affects who you are, affects who you attract. And that's what it's really important for you to know. And again, I still will say that there's still a lot of work you're gonna have to do in marriage. Marriage is probably one of the best polishing processes out there. Um, there's a whole bunch of other good ones, but marriage tends to um, make the polishing process happen. And, and you'll also tend to have a little bit less problems in marriage because you've already worked on a lot of the things that are really rough edges. So you really, so if you were all young adults or singles, you, I'd be saying, get busy working on your stuff. Get busy working on your stuff. And that kind of brings me to this third exercise. Go back to the list that you, well, I guess we don't need to go back to the list, but I now would like you to identify, secret if you need to, your three of your top weaknesses. I am a huge advocate that we all need to know very clearly and easily what our number one weaknesses are. I've even created a mnemonic device for my weaknesses, but I am not going to tell you what they all are. Um, one of them starts with P, and I know nobody else in here struggles with that, but patience tends to be one that people have a hard time with. So write down your three biggest weaknesses. Hopefully you, you won't have too easy of a time coming up with 10 of them, but I do want you to be familiar with what your, what your weaknesses are. Anybody care to share an observation in doing these three little exercises? Don't have to, just wanna get a pulse of how you're doing with it, okay? Anybody surprised by anything? Anybody found anything a little bit that they weren't as aware of? Okay. 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 So he said, I'm not real great, just for the, the people that are watching later, um, I'm not real great at setting boundaries, but I did say that earlier that I was good at communication. So you communicate well, we just need to work on some of the what kind of communication, right? Excellent. Very good. Okay. So since we're talking a lot about um, compulsive behaviors, um, addiction, things like that. If, if, you're, if you were a single adult or if you're not, if one of your weaknesses is addiction, what do we do with that? Okay, so you're not married, you've got addiction going on. This is a little bit of an interesting personal and professional situation for me because I have a daughter and a son that are both now kind of marry, marrying age. What are my thoughts of my daughter falling in love with someone who's got a pornography addiction. But to take you out of that mode real quick, think about having a son. If he has a pornography addiction, how are you feeling about that? Wondering how his marriage is going to be and who's going to be okay with that. So I think that what I've kind of come up with as a therapist, this is kind of what I call, and this is one of the handouts I would have liked to hand to you. So you walk away and go, I gotta start working on number three. I gotta start working on whatever. But this is what I wanna just walk through real briefly as minimum requirements for a son, if he was dealing with that before going into marriage, or a daughter, for me to feel comfortable her saying yes to that, he would need to be doing this very faithfully. So number one, and, and, and again, there's more things to it. This is just, I, and I, I'm constantly updating this. So maybe by the time you actually receive it from me, I'll have added something. So 
but number one, you gotta be attending weekly meetings. Uh, Dr. Carnes, Stephanie Carnes has talked a lot about how important that is, being at the meetings and the group work. Group work is huge, so huge. Step work, gotta be working the 12 steps with a sponsor. I think somebody, one of the founders talked to, uh, of this organization talked about that recover, good recovery work is just good healthy living, which is why I think they've made it such an important part of this. But I, I, I've actually told a lot of my clients that are working through recovery um, and addiction stuff, I, this will sound weird to say, but I sometimes feel a little sad for those that aren't or don't have to deal with addiction because those that get in and do it well, they've got a lot of gifts. Stephanie Carnes talked about gifts of crisis. I think addiction has the potential to provide a lot of gifts to yourself, to your relationship, and I think we probably got a few in here that can probably attest to that. Accountability partners, you've got to have multiple accountability partners that you're in contact with. Some that you text, some that you phone, some that you go out with, some that are in your 12-step groups, some that in, are in your SA groups. You need multiple people that you can call. I, it's funny, I, most of my um, uh, sex therapy training, I'm a certified sex therapist, most of my sex therapy training is done by, um, in Atlanta with a Christian organization called the Institute for Sexual Wholeness. They just in their church, I don't know if requires the white word, but they make a point of every single man having 12 men that they are accountable to, that they have a personal accountability relationship to. I think men do not do this super well. Men, women are better at having girlfriend-type relationships. Men are not great at this. And I have, in fact, I, I don't remember if I wrote this down to send you, but I have a whole handout just on how to set up an accountability partner that I'll send you as well. Um, in fact, Melody, will you write that down to remind me to send that? Um, therapy, make sure you're in therapy. Stephanie Carnes talked about that as well. Boundaries, you've got to identify your triggers. You've got to know what your lead-up steps are to the addiction. You've got to be practicing, practicing thought stopping on a daily basis. And one of the things that I like is the ADD, acknowledge the thought, demystify it, and, and um, distract. Got kind of another one for sexual issues not related to addiction, so I get confused on that. So thought stopping, transparency. Are you open? Are you honest? Do you have any need to hide your phone from your spouse? Not okay. There is, you need to be transparent and open and honest, and that's the foundation of a good relationship. And when we get to my keynote, you'll see why you wanna have a good, healthy sexual relationship. That's foundational. You've gotta have that openness there. Slips, I think it's really important to share slips within 24 hours. You've gotta, and, and that's why you need multiple accountability partners, because you can't get a hold of one. The reason why is that if you, anybody know why? Why am I big on this? Why is it so important to get that slip out? Because the longer you hold on to it, the more hurt it causes and the, the more trust that deteriorates. Okay, okay. She says the longer you wait, the more hurt it causes, the more trust deteriorates. Excellent. Um, it could prolong your slipping and then you go to full relapse. Yes, it could prolong the slipping and you go to a full relapse. Excellent. What I also want you to note, and this is a great thing to write down, addiction is fueled by shame and secrecy. The sooner you no longer have a secret, the better off you are. And, and 
Dr. Carnes talks about this as well. Sometimes it isn't your spouse that you're sharing this with, it's sometimes somebody else. So you've gotta have a lot of those people. Okay, recovery reading, you need to be reading, learning, listening to books. You need to constantly be learning what about addiction and, and recovery and practicing good self-care. You need to be good at self-care. There's so many of us that don't do a good job about taking care of ourselves. And then that puts you in a framework where you're more likely to slip. Okay, this is a whole presentation in and of itself. So that's a very brief Reader's Digest version right there. Um, any questions on that? Okay, so that's just, if this happens to be one of the weaknesses going into marriage, you better work on this. You better get this figured out. This is a big deal. Do you want your daughter going into this? Do you want your son bringing a wife into this or vice versa? Can you speak to disclosure of this um, in the process of I'm not because that's a huge, that's like another presentation. Like Dr. Karn said, that's like, she's got a three-day course on disclosure. But yes, that's a very important, I'm glad you brought it up because disclosure is important. And if you have the addiction, you have got to share it. There's so much more problem with people after the fact feeling like I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a say. And so you at least need to let, to have enough respect for them and enough love for them that you share that information in a very healthy, honest, open way so that they get to choose. And then if they choose, that's a different story. That's much easier to work with, okay? All right, second suggestion, get educated sexually. Okay, we don't do this very well. It is very important that we get educated about um, sexuality and marriage. Uh, we aren't super prepared for that, and, and that's, that's very important. Um, I think that es especially as I'm talking more about the young adult moving into marriage, this needs to be a conversation that you have with your um, fiance, um, where you have some discussion about your expectations of it. I have a whole little process I give to people preparing for the honeymoon. One of them, a quick little thing being um, that writing out an ideal home, uh, honeymoon scenario and sharing that with each other so you kind of can look at what some of the expect expectations are. That's a little a bit of that. But the purpose of the getting educated is you've got to learn sexual wiring specifics. My next book is all on the female sexual wiring, wiring and the next book is all on the male sexual wiring. Because when you don't know what you're working with, you, you kind of act like each other's broken or not working right. And it's not true. You just don't know how, they're, how they are wired. So you got to learn that. And secondly, this is a huge one too, just developing greater comfort, confidence, positive feelings about sex itself is an important characteristic going into marriage. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you have had experience with it being a difficult topic of conversation, whether it's with your spouse, with your kids, with a, a future person that you might be considering marrying, it's a tough conversation. So you've got to get kind of good at practicing how to do that. Um, some of the books that can help with this, these first four books, I kind of separated it in books that are not likely to be triggering and books that are more likely to be triggering but are still super important. Um, Soul Virgins, Sex and the Soul of a Woman, both awesome for single adults, really wanting to get a big, good overview of the whole bigger picture of what sexuality is all about. The five love languages, vital. If, if you're not meeting 
each other's needs in marriage, it's, it's tough. And if you don't even know what your own needs are, that's tough too. So I'm just making your life easy before marriage for those that this applies to there. And then this dating game secrets for marrying a good man, that's a real good one also for kind of this healthy boundaries uh, in dating and, and attracting the kind of person you wanna be married to. So that's kind of that. Um, these other three books are then moving into sexual specifics. I want you to know how things work and what the wiring is, and so that's why I have my book here. Obviously, I wrote the book because I felt like there wasn't really one out there that addressed the things that I thought were important. <laughs> but I note here, you know, if you aren't married, leave chapters three, four, and five to when you're close to getting married or read them in a public place or read them on your parents' living room couch just to make it easier. I get torn here because I think people need this information before they get married, but if, if I just say wait until you are engaged, then you're consumed by weddingness, and then you don't pay attention to what I think is more important, which is the marriage and the relationship. So you're going to have to just use your wise judgment in when and how to make that happen. Sheet music is another good one, Dr. Kevin Lehman. And then the porn trap, just because if we're dealing with pornography stuff, we've got to make sure that's in the mix of the conversation of getting educated about what it's going to do the, to the relationship and stuff like that. Okay, um, third suggestion for young adults. The, oh yes, question. I probably ought to. I think I'll just go through my slides and send you the ones that I think you probably need. Yeah, I'll do that. Yep, yep, good idea. Uh, we'll send that. She asked if I could send the slides, so. Um, I may not send the whole thing, but I'll send the ones that are important. So third suggestion for young adults, singles, is to figure out your sexual conditioning and remove unnecessary negative inhibitors. This is a lot of what the work I do as a sex therapist is addressing negative beliefs, unproductive, unhealthy beliefs, and it's really important that you figure out what those are. Sex, this is not empirically researched at this moment, but it's a good analogy. Sex has an 80-20 rule. 80% of sex happens here. Do you all know that? Hopefully that's not a shocker. Men and women, okay? Especially for women though. Women, and, and when we get to the keynote today, you'll see why this is a big deal. But 80% of it mental, emotional, only 20% of it physical and sexual. If that's the case, then you can see why if we haven't removed inhibitors and negative thoughts about sex, we're in trouble, right? We got, we got some issues there. So how do we do this? How do we overcome, remove these negative beliefs and stuff? Number one, we've got to identify them. That's a tough one. We don't do that a lot. Number two, and I'll go back to these in a minute, read good books on the subject. Same, same similar books that I just talked about. Read good books on healthy intimacy. I have a whole bunch of um, wives that one of their homework assignments is to download all of my podcasts from the Marital Intimacy Show, download my book, um, my book is available on download, not everyone knows that, and to put it on their phone so that they can listen to it anytime they can, when they're driving in a car alone, when they're getting ready in the morning, because what happens, especially for women, oh, 
I'm talking about something I'm going to talk about in the afternoon, but we women don't tend to think about sex a whole lot. Men tend to think, se think about sex a lot more, and so we've kind of got a reverse um, process going on to, be, to work on your beliefs and to get prepared for marriage. So reading good books on the subject. Number three, so again, think of it, you're, you're a single person, and you're trying to develop comfort and confidence in talking about sexuality. So what might you do? You might see if you could talk to parents about it. You might talk to siblings about it. You might talk to roommates about it. You might talk to people so that you develop the skill in being able to talk about sex. I, in, my, in my book, I talk about how to help parents prepare to talk to their kids about sex, uh, which we'll get to a little bit in a minute. But um, one of the things that I tell parents to do is go practice either between husband and wife or practice in the mirror, okay? Because you decrease the discomfort of being able to talk about it if you kind of can practice it ahead of time a little bit, okay? Make sense? So Question, yes, Tammy. I really enjoyed talking to my OB yep. about that to get, a, to get a, an exam before. She had some great tips, as well as I took a, a college course in human sexuality that really Awesome. So she talked about talking to an OB about it, um, taking a college course, again, reading books, but, but that actual verbalizing, you'd be amazed at how difficult it is to say some words, because you probably haven't even said some of these words. So like I'll also assign homework to go home and say these words in the mirror, so that you can do it without freaking out. Okay, or you can, <laughs> so yes, it does help to do that. Okay, so I want to kind of give you a little head start on this. So my, Sticking with this third suggestion, I think we can all do this. I want to start you on identifying the beliefs. And again, this is something else I will send you. But I'd like you to choose one of these questions, and I'd like you to write down a couple sentences of where you are with, and you choose your question. I'm going to run through the questions. But start writing, because I want you to start the process. And there's a very different process involved when you write things out versus when you just speak them, OK? What do, you th what do I think about sex? Just what do I think about it? What's the first thoughts that come to mind? Make a big list of all those thoughts. Um, how do I feel about it? I think sex is, and then list, 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 list. Okay? Okay, you should all be writing. Um, remember, I don't want you to just hear it. I want you to do it. What do I think about my body, my partner's body, all parts of it? Are there any parts I'm uncomfortable with? What or who all played a role in my sexual learning and development? Parents, peers, church, media, etc. And in what ways? What did I learn about sex and how was I taught? What do I think God thinks about sex? That's a big one. What negative experiences have I had from past experiences with sex? You've got to know what those are. All of them. Stephanie Carnes talked about doing a timeline for sexual addiction. It'd be really great to do a timeline for your sexual learning and experiences. Okay? You gotta be an expert at your, and especially when I'm working with women, you gotta be an expert at your sexuality, really. Especially because 80% of it is thoughts and feelings. List as many, I also want you to get to list as many genuine positive thoughts and feelings as you can about sex. Amber? Okay. Um, if you are waiting till you're married to have sex, 
Mm-hmm. Are you really going to be an expert in your... I don't know. I think this is a high expectation to, to understand your inhibitors. No, you're right. You're, you're right. It, you're not going to know all of this. Um, a lot of this... It's probably a lot of it is, I work a lot more with uh, married couples, so maybe there's some of that that I didn't think through as, as well for you. But you really just are trying to learn everything that you can. Go back and at least figure out what you have learned about sex. Because it gives you a chance to think about yes. things and talk yes. about them, and then later you can yes. do it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yep. But, but still, think about how few people even know that. That's a big step forward for a lot of people, just to have any kind of an internal conversation about it, you know. Okay, so there's homework if you so choose to accept that mission, okay? So that's our, so these are the three things that young, adult, young single, single adults can be doing to help be better prepared for marriage and especially for sexual intimacy in marriage. It's kind of a little bit, I feel a little bit um, disjointed to think through addiction thinking and to think through sex therapy thinking. So I kind of have to make my brain go back and forth a little bit with that to, to make sense of it. But these are our three um, suggestions again. Develop the characteristics you want to have in a spouse. Be in a constant state of self-development, self-improvement. Polish those rough edges as well as you can you are not going to be able to do it perfectly, and you're not going to be able to figure out everything there is to know about your sexuality, but you can get started. Get educated sexually. Be wise about how to do that. It's very different for what maybe men would do versus girls. Uh, you know, I've got a son and I've got a daughter. You know, my daughter could read my book now. I mean, she's graduated from high school. It'd be fine. My son, I'd probably say you could read it, maybe leave those three chapters out, or be in a public place. You know, there, you gotta accept that men and women are different. And if you can't do that, then you're gonna have trouble. Because they are generally different, okay? Number three, figure out your sexual conditioning as well as you can, and remove unnecessary negative in inhibitors as well as you can. This is why this applies as well for those of you that are married, okay? Okay, so let's look at part two. First suggestion for parents to help your children be better prepared for marriage, try to create the best possible marriage you can yourself. And I know that's super hard if we're adding addiction into the mix. Um, not only try to have the best marriage that you can, but try to develop the best sexual relationship in marriage that you can. Um, our kids are not stupid. They know how you're doing even if you don't tell them. They know how you touch or don't touch. They know how you feel about each other. And, and that plays into their future in marriage. Um, so just do the best you can with that. Again, number one, learn, read, discuss. As husband and wife, try to get some of these books, have some discussion about it. I have couples that will read one chapter of a book or a couple pages in a book and have a discussion. And they kind of assign that as homework. We make that homework where they not only get some education but also get some comfort in having sexual conversations, okay? Uh, number two, these are kind of, uh, number two is another whole presentation in and of itself, but there's kind of what I call maybe your three key 
things that you can do to thrive in marriage. Because if you think about it, we are mind, body, spirit as people. And so I just kind of took what I think is the biggest bang for your buck in each of those three areas. Mind is mind and emotion, and that's date night. You gotta be having date night, people, okay? How many of you have had a date with your spouse in the last, mm, I'll give you two weeks? Okay, you all need to work on that. It's really important. Just do the best you can, because I know it's tough. There's a whole bunch of, uh, on my Facebook page, we get into this, I ask the question, what gets in the way of date, of date night? And there's all kinds of things that get in the way. So just do the best you can. I, I think people are always doing the best they can. But try to have date night. Touch, this is body. Now touch means affection and sex. Try to have as much of both of those as you can. Again, outside of the context of addiction, because that's a whole different kind of animal there. Um, and spirit, anything you can do to kind of bring that spiritual element into your relationship just makes it more complete. I'm a big fan of couple prayer. When you, I think that's just the easiest way to kind of be, make your marriage bigger than just yourself, okay? And that's hard to do, so. Uh, tough, tough thing. Three keys to thriving in marriage. That's them. Counseling. If, if any of this is difficult for you to do on your own, just get a little bit of help. I personally think that it's the smartest people that get, ca get counseling. I had a new couple come in uh, a couple weeks ago and they were really struggling because they're just like, we're so embarrassed to be here and oh, we don't want our kids to know, we don't want anyone to know. And I just said, oh, I just wish that. I, I know it's changing, so I'm hopeful, but I just w I hope we get to the point where it's like, oh yeah, absolutely, we're going to counseling. You know, I tease, I tease parents sometimes and I'm like, you know, you're saving, you know, you gotta save for your kids, you gotta save for college, you gotta save for marriage, just save for counseling too, you're good. You know, everybody needs counseling. So, Go get counseling too. Tip number one for parents. Tip number two, have ongoing conversations with your kids about sex to help prepare them to be married well and to help prepare them for a smoother transition into sexual intimacy in marriage. You know, there's so much of this conversation, so much of kind of a negative, fear-based, shame-based conversation before marriage about sex but then nobody ever adds a positive element and nobody comes back after marriage and make sure you got the positive element. So we got a lot of work to do, people. I will never be out of a job, though my job is to make myself get out of a job. Um, and that's what I think hopefully good counselors are doing is working themselves out of a job so that you guys can do this on your own. Play an active role in your child's sex education. And we're gonna talk in a minute here what I call five key times to talk to your kids. They're, they're my five have-tos, as well as you can. I, I, I don't want to put extra pressure on anyone because I always know people are doing the best they can. But I think it's good if you've got the information, you can try to do it. Be comfortable and confident with sexual discussions yourself. You see now, if we're back to where you guys are reading books together and having discussions together, think about how much easier now it is to talk to our kids. We've actually said some of those words out loud and didn't die while we did it. It's good, good practice. Um, so how do we do this? How do we prepare for this? How do we get good at this? Um, to, to be prepared to have these ongoing conversations with our kids. Um, overcome our own parental barriers to talking with your kids. You gotta work on your own embarrassment, your own discomfort. 
Uh, you've got to work on the negativity that you might have about sex. And again, until you do that sexual belief survey and figure out what your actual beliefs are, you might think you're fine with sex until you dig in and find out, oh my goodness, I have a hard time coming up with anything positive. So that, that's going to be some work you got to do. Try to keep down at the fear-based fear thinking that comes along with talking to your kids about sex. Sometimes we think, oh, if I talk to them, I'm going to make them think about it more. I'm going to whatever, whatever. Let me just tell you, if you're not talking to your kids, somebody else is. And what they're learning is probably not what you want them to be learning. So you got to get your edge in there. See, th this is a big part of what I do, why I do what I do, is that there is so little positive confident, good conversation about sexuality and, and sex that there's like so no competition for all the other stuff that they're getting, okay? So we got to put in some counterbalance, okay? Lack of sexual knowledge. It, it's tough for parents to talk to their kids when they think, oh, what if they ask a question they don't know? That's tough. So you get a little bit of education, get some learning about uh, what to talk about. Read and discuss good books. Talked about this already. Be able to discuss your own sexual relationship with your spouse. That's just a great gauge. If you're able to do that, that's a good gauge for all of these other things. And then now let's just talk about these ongoing conversations with our kids about sexual issues. What are these five key times? Okay. So if we're having these ongoing conversations with our kids to help prepare them for marriage, um, we got a couple of things here. Number one, before school. This is kind of the good touch, bad touch. So many um, children that end up um, having sexual abuse in their background, it's because they didn't really understand at a very, very young age what good touch and bad touch was, and they weren't given permission to tell an adult no. Think about your little tiny people. They don't know that they can tell you no. You ought to let them tell you no once in a while and not freak out, just so they get a little practice. That's the kind of context these little people need to have. Um, and what to do to stop inappropriate behavior. Tell them to stop, and you come tell me immediately, even if they threaten you, because I will protect you. And you, they've got to know that ahead of time. And even if you didn't get to it ahead of time, still tell them now. It's never too late. Number two is before age eight. It's kind of a, an age of an accountability. It's kind of an uh, integrated maturity level kind of kicks in around that time as well. And so it's important that they get kind of a little... Think about this conversation for each of these five times is a little different each time. You're kind of giving a little bit different information. You're kind of undoing a little bit of information as well. So this, this is kind of like you are getting a head start at what they're going to learn at school, too. What they're learning, what they're hearing on the bus, you've got to get your information in there. They've gotta, you've got to open that dialogue with them, okay? Um, there's a difference between physical puberty and social puberty. Social puberty is the minute they technically have access to media, which uh, I don't even want to talk about how soon that happens. Um, number three, before puberty, really important. This is a big one. You've got to talk to your kids before puberty so they don't freak out like, how many of you have seen the movie uh, Parenthood? The boy in there that hits puberty and freaks out about it. Um, they need some information about what's going to happen to them, how normal it is, how wonderful it is, why it happens. 
And see how that feels very different than, oh, great, yeah, I started your period, I hate that. You know, you gotta, this is all sex education, people, okay? Number four, before dating. This is when you really wanna not only reinforce whatever your standards are, but parents need to help children walk through, same thing we have to do to walk through to stay away from addictive behavior. What are your boundaries? What are the lead up steps? What are you gonna do if you get too close to an edge? Do you have a, you know, do you have a phone to call mom to come get you? I mean, you've gotta help them walk, walk them through, what do I do if I get into a situation? They need to have that open conversation with you, okay? And they really need to start to understand that while all the feelings that they're having are wonderful, you've gotta learn to master them. That's what we're gonna talk about in the next session, a little bit more about good sex is all about mental discipline, mastery of the thoughts. Back to our 80-20 rule. If you master that 80%, we can help you out with the other 20, okay? So mastering thoughts. Number five, before marriage. Boy, this is one that nobody gets. How many of you got more than, do you have any questions, son, daughter? Nope. All right, we're good. Have a nice honeymoon. Did anybody get more than that? Please, somebody, a few. Okay, yay. Thank you, good parents. Tell your parents that I appreciate them. Okay, people, do you see that? That's not okay. We cannot do this. Crazy. And, and I'm super, actually, I'm super excited, looking forward to when I can talk to my kids and I'll be like, all right, let's pull out chapter three, four, and five. Let's go. <laughs> They're like scared. They don't want to get married. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, parents need to be the ones that fill in those blanks. And you're going to have to learn a little bit so that you can fill in those blanks in case you don't know. And unfortunately, most parents, uh, most parents, even though they're having sex, they don't always know some of those blanks. Susan? Do you see yourself talking to your children's fiancés? Not unless that is, feels appropriate. I'm, I don't want to be that kind of mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> so this is for the record for anyone that comes back and watches this again later. <laughs> you said you would not talk to... <laughs> but if they're open to it, I, I'm hopeful, I'm assuming that my kids are going to marry very open, accepting, able to have intelligent conversations, and that if it works to have conversations, great. It might even at least be, hey, why don't you read this if you want, and if you have any questions and it's comfortable for you, I'm available, but no big deal if not. Yeah, the last three chapters of this book walk you exactly through what to do with this. How to, how to prepare, what to say, how to say it, when to say it, blah, 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 blah. Okay? Okay, so these are... Question? Yes? Do you think, do you find any, in your experience, do you find any difficulties with moms talking to sons or dads talking to daughters? Uh, because you think that doesn't work as well or... Yeah. Yeah, no, she asked, is it awkward to have the opposite gender parent sometimes talk to the kids? I, I, I'm a big fan of working with what is, and if what is is that one of the parents is not going to do it, then I think the other person should, or at least do what you need to. And yes, I think sometimes also, and I talk about this in my book, but I do think sometimes it can be easier for one parent to have a conversation. 
and I talk about the fact that it depends on the personality of the child, depends on the personality of the parent, depends on the state of the relationship. So these are all contextual factors that we get to deal with in life, this thing we call life. So yeah, just do the best you can. It's better than nothing. I'm glad you're doing it. Um, I, I'm not super hesitant, but I'm, again, trying to factor in what also I know about triggers and potential addiction and um, making it harder to keep their, the standards that they may set for themselves. So, you know, it, it just there's very specific information can be a little more triggering is all. And those three chapters just happen to walk very specifically through the female sexual response. And so, it, and, and let me also say, that there are people that read it and it's no problem. I'm just trying to be sensitive to the error on the side of caution. No, 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 it's not even that at all. It's more about, I don't want to give you too much to think with while you're already trying to keep yourselves in check, if that's what you know someone's trying to do. So it's more about not making it harder to keep your standards probably, not about the information. The information is very important, very necessary. Good question, thank you. Okay, third suggestion, help your kids overcome their personal weaknesses. So what we just did in the earlier section on identifying your you know, weaknesses, you wanna probably be able to go through and identify maybe the top three weaknesses in each of your kids. Um, I've got a six, 16 and a half, 17 year old. I'm, pretty clear on what some of the things are that I think he might have issues with. I'm hoping that he's going to want to get married someday and not hate his spouse because I tell him a lot, honey, you cannot do that. Your future spouse will kill you. <laughs> and he just looks at me like, mom, I'm like, so, you know, there's a, a balance here, but you want to be able to kind of be thinking through, okay, I've got a child that is that struggles a lot with being maybe a little more selfish than they should be. I've got one that struggles with opening up and communicating. I've got one that struggles a little bit with um, being, putting other people first. I've got, uh, you know, a child that struggles with, you need, to th you need to be aware of those if you can. Again, parenting's got a lot of jobs here. If you can do this, great help them then work on those things. So I know of one mom where uh, they had a son that had done something in the neighborhood with some friends, ding dong ditching really late at night or something like that. And um, the mom had the son because he wasn't super good at empathy, thinking through other people's experiences and had them write down five things that that family might've been feeling. You woke up the baby, um, they got woken up. The wife was really mad at this or that, you know, just what, because they kind of knew some of those answers already, but I wanted them to really put a finger on them. Okay, so that's, so that's kind of what you want to think through. How do I effectively help them make some of those changes? Okay, got that? All right, so our review. Work, review, review for parents. Work on your own marriage and sexual relationship to provide a positive role model. Number two, have ongoing conversations, five of them, Five of them, and if you've missed some, go back and redo them. Just kidding. Just get them caught up to speed if you can. Have those on ongoing conversations with your kids about marriage and sex and help your kids work on their weaknesses because you just save their spouse. I, that's what I say to my kids. I'm like, I'm just, try I'm, just, I'm just trying to help out your spouse. That's all I'm trying to do. 
you know? <laughs> I'm just trying to save you money on counseling in the future, okay? I'm just trying to make your life easier. But that's kind of what you're trying to do, okay? Um, so you've got your three suggestions as young adults, things you can do, single adults, three suggestions for parents. Um, any questions? So go to your three by five card and take a minute. Let's see, how much time do we have? About 10-ish. So take your three by five card, jot down just a question, or if you don't have a question, that's fine. I'm gonna gather all of the cards so nobody knows who the questions come from. Just because a topic like this, invariably, and I'm a perfect example of this, one of the spouses is like easy to talk and blah, 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 and can say anything, and the other spouse is sitting there going, I'm so embarrassed that you just said that or asked that question. <laughs> is that not true? Yeah, you guys are all laughing. Um, so go ahead and jot down a question. So uh, I'm not married, but um, when I was, awesome. um, we have kids. Um, I'd like to get your opinion and perspective on whether or not it's a good idea to use your date night with your own companion talking about the ways that you can help your own kids absolutely. overcome their issues. Oh, I absolutely. Think sometimes that's good, but sometimes that can also be sort of a kind of a killer for yep. the relationship. No, you're right. Yep, you're a great question. C can we use date night to discuss stuff like this? Absolutely, if that's the only way you can get it. Absolutely not if you never have just fun date nights. Yeah. <laughs> Got that? So if you're having other fun, non-date nights, fine. Yeah, you bet. You got you to get it done. Whatever it takes to get it done, get it done. Thank you. Okay, um, and what do you suggest for those of us who have spouses who will not go on dates or refuse to work recovery for their addiction? And it's been years. Oh, I hate that question. It's a tough one. Um, you got to figure out what, I, I can't answer that question, obviously, nobody can but you, um, but you need to figure out what you're okay with, what, you're, what you can do, what kind of boundaries you can set up for yourself if you decide that you want to stay. Um, you've got to decide, am I going to stay regardless? Here's, here's my principle one in another presentation, which is the only person you can change is yourself. So if you only have access to you and nothing else changes in that other person, are you going to stay? Are, can you do what you're doing? Is it okay? Are there other benefits to it? If that's a no, then you got to do the other way. There's just so, as you know, as you all know, there's so many pros and cons on both sides of that in, in a lot of ways, but you've got to think through. I actually think Let's see, do I want to say that? I think people can, I, I'm, you know, I'm a marriage counselor, but I often don't have access to both spouses. So I have a philosophy that says, you just give me one person and we can make it better. So I have a belief system that says only one, only one person working on stuff can still make things very okay and even potentially thrivable. But that's just kind of me, and then I always back down if that's not where the situation is for them, and I go with where they are. Okay, tough one, tough, 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 tough one. Please, spouse, pray really hard that your spouse could have a change of heart. That's what I, I pray for my clients all the time. Um, let's see, when do you talk to an adult child? I should try to pre-read these, but now I'm just reading it too anyway. When do you talk to a young adult child about good sex who become sexually active before marriage. Um, 
Again, principle number one, the only one you can change is yourself directly. So I'm also principle number two. I'm a big fan of working with what is. What is is what is. If that's not changeable, then I think you can open up a conversation and just start having an open conversation about it. If that, if that feels right, again, everything is an individual case by case, but I'm thinking through having a, you know, have a conversation. If that's what's going on, then talk to them about it. See what, see what role you can play that's helpful, that's positive, that maintains a good relationship with that child, okay? All right. How can you help encourage counseling for someone whose previous sexual abuse is impacting preparation for sexual intimacy? Okay, how can you help encourage counseling for someone whose previous sexual abuse is impacting preparation for marriage? Um, we're kind of back to principle one again. The only one you can change is yourself. You can encourage, you can help, you can find people for them. You can do everything you can to make it safe for them. You can even surrender it, meaning you can even say, I'm okay if nothing changes. That's the epitome of surrender, isn't it? I'm okay if nothing changes. Nothing gets better. I will figure out how to thrive, nevertheless. So in that case, when we don't need someone to change desperately, they have a much easier time changing. Do you all know that? Is that new? If you can let go, and I have a whole handout on how to surrender. I could send you that too. Write that down. I won't remember. <laughs> um, if you can genuinely surrender something that you desperately want to change, like a spouse working on their recovery, I guarantee you make it easier for them to get working on their recovery. I've seen it. I've seen it over and over. And that's why I have the philosophy that I have, which is you give me one person that's willing to work on it and we can make something good happen. Okay? Ten minutes left? Oh, okay, cool. Yay. Um, I've caught my son masturbating. How do I appropriately handle these types of situations? Okay, so if you are, have done or are doing some of these things I've already talked about, where you're already having kind of sexual conversations with your spouse, you're already discussing kind of your own sexual relationship and walking through some of that, um, you're comfortable saying certain words because you've practiced saying them in front of the mirror and you didn't freak out, um, then you can have a very calm, relaxed, here's my principle number one of parenting. Don't do anything parenting-wise that you aren't doing from level zero. Do you know what I mean? What do I mean? Anyone? Get, take a neutral. Okay, so from parenting, you've got to do everything from level zero, which is kind of a neutral. I don't, it's the surrender handout again. If you, if you are living in a surrender place, then nothing that comes along is going to blow you out of the water because you're just okay with what is. You're just okay and you know it's going to work itself out. So you are starting from just a, hey, honey, you know, let's see, what was the, caught him. Not freaking out is number one. Hey, I'm noticing a theme here. Practice not freaking out, okay? So whatever you can do to practice not freaking out when you might normally freak out, that's a good thing to be doing. Um, because what you're doing here with this first um, experience is 
keeping shame out. Okay? Shame basically is you're a bad person. Guilt is maybe I'm doing a bad thing. You, you get that difference, right? So you're having a conversation about it, but you're not putting shame into the mix. Just be like, hey, so what's going on? You know, I'm not sure that's the best thing to be doing. Um, tell me a little bit about what's going on in your life. Are you bored? Because, you know, a lot of young people that get into masturbation, if pornography isn't in the mix, a lot of times it's boredom and opportunity. So just right there, if your kids always have things to do, bedroom doors are never closed. Um, you know kind of where they are and what they're doing most all the time. Good parenting is not an easy job, just FYI, if anyone didn't already know that. Anybody can be a parent, but good parenting, it'll nearly kill you. Just saying. Do you see masturbation as a bad thing? Well, from a sex therapist side of things, masturbation has the, just leaving addiction out of it, just, which is a big bunch of stuff to leave out of it. Um, masturbation has the tendency to satisfy sexual needs outside of the context of the relationship and it has an effect on the relationship. Does that make sense? But as, you know, like for me and son, or them finding their son but there's, but they're setting a habit. And we all know here how big of a, how heavy duty of a habit this could become because we know it can closely get to. I, I'm just thinking from a marriage counselor, sex therapist angle, and that is not a great idea on multiple levels, marriage-wise, relationship-wise, and sex-wise. It's back to what I say to my son, honey, please don't do that because your wife is gonna kill you if you do that when you're married. You know, that kind of context, there's things that have a, an effect down the road, and that would be kind of one of them that I'd put in that category. Okay, um, five minutes, okay. What if it's opposite of addictions and your husband never wants sex? Okay, that's, a, that's another big issue for a lot of, a lot of um, couples. It's getting more and more where the woman is a higher desire spouse. And there's two books um, that I often recommend to people that email me, Facebook me, whatever. Um, Michelle Wiener Davis has one called The Sex Starved Wife. And the other one is, I can see it on my bookshelf. Um, Berkowitz, Why Men Stop Having Sex, something like that. And what's really good about these two books is it walks you through kind of all the different reasons that men become lower desire. Just a couple of them off the top of my head is, you know, pornography pr issues can obviously be one of them. If you're kind of getting sexually satisfied elsewhere, it, that the hunger that would normally happen in a in good, intimate, healthy relationship is not as much there. So it's kind of, men almost become a little bit more like women where they're not really thinking about it much and it's not that important. That's one. Uh, fear of intimacy, this can happen to both, but um, it's a pretty scary thing to um, be naked and intimate and vulnerable in front of anybody, even your spouse. And especially if, so not only just the fear of intimacy, but if a spouse is also scary, meaning, um, and this can happen with women. Uh, I've got a very nice, sweet husband, so this could, you know, be my personality type. But if, if a woman is 
particularly overbearing or angry all the time, that can also uh, affect sexual drive in a man. Um, any sexual dysfunctions can affect sexual, sexual drive in a man as well. Those are just four or five, and I think they have quite a few more um, that they talk through about. So, and it's interesting though, because a lot of what, um, a lot of what I kind of teach towards women, just because you kind of got to teach to stereotypes just to make, keep it sort of simple, a lot of what I work with women on would then in the reverse be now what the husband would be working on. He would be working on keeping thoughts in check and staying focused sexually and, and just other, other things that would work on that. Um, any other questions that you want to add? Okay. I hope that we've shared something here that's helpful. I hope you all can at least point to one or two things that you're going, you want to go out of here and say, okay, I really want to do this or look at this or work on this when I leave here. I wish you all well. Marriage is a tough job and addiction and compulsive behavior is tougher on top of it. But um, I have a lot of hope for couples. I've seen a lot of great work and a lot of great successes. So don't give up and just keep doing your work, okay? Thank you for coming. You have been listening to an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. For more information or other recordings, please visit our website at www.healthyintimacy.net. Thank you for listening.